Warning. This podcast may prove to be damaging to the comfort of closely held presuppositions. Remember to practice Acts 17.11 and examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. The website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, today we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to Mark, and we are ready for chapter 13. Now, chapter 13 is the Olivet Disclosure, okay? This is kind of like the companion to, like, uh, the more popular one in Matthew in the book of Matthew, but it deals with... Jesus is telling the disciples uh, what to expect. Now, I have to just say up front, and most of you who've listened to me for a while and you've read my books, you already know this, but I have what would today be considered an unpopular view of what this means and what it's saying. However, if you go back and you look at all the great uh commentators uh, from hundreds of years before us, they are in complete agreement with what I'm saying, uh, with one major difference, and that is when we're dealing with prophecy, really it's not even different. If you if you go read Matthew Henry, you read F.B. Meyer, you read uh, John Wesley, I mean the list goes on and on, they're, they're pretty much in agreement with what I'm saying here. The first thing I want to say is when it comes to prophecy, Bible prophecy, you usually the audience to the prophecy has a fulfillment, right? Like, here's the prophecy, here's what's happened, it's to you, it's to this group of people, to this generation, okay? However, sometimes there's multiple fulfillments or additional fulfillments further on into the future. And we see that with Scripture a lot. One of the examples I always bring up is... Uh, in the Old Testament, you have God talking to the Israelites, and he says, Out of Egypt I have called my son, referring to Israel. But then when you go to the Gospels, you have uh, Mary and Joseph. They take the, the Christ child, and they hide in Egypt because Herod's trying to kill them. But then when Herod dies, they're told they can leave, and then they leave Egypt. And Matthew writes, So it was fulfilled, out of Egypt I have called my son. Okay, so we have two fulfillments there. Sometimes that's the way it is. Here's kind of some of the issues that we run into with modern-day Bible teachers, specifically in the prophecy realm, is that a lot of times they will twist ideas and thoughts to make their biblical doctrines work. And here's where I'm going to rub really badly against what most of you are hearing from mainstream prophecy teachers, okay? Let me give you one example. And then we're going to get into the text, and I'll also go to some of these commentators uh, that I mentioned. Jesus, you've all heard this one. I heard this line. We all know it. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Right? And what do the modern day prophecy teachers tell you? 
they say, Jesus said that the generation that sees these signs will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Right? Like, that's what they say and that's what they write. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you. Who's the you? Verily I say unto you. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's pointing at them. Verily I say unto you. Pointing at you, Peter. And pointing at you, John. That this generation, meaning theirs, will not pass away till they see all these things be fulfilled or till all these things be done, right? And he's what is he talking about? What's the context of what he's talking about? Right before all of this, they're saying, Master, look at the temple and look at these great buildings. And Jesus is saying, this is all coming down. There's not going to be a single stone left upon one another. And then you have... Uh, that take place, right? In 70 AD, the very generation that Jesus was talking to said, that temple's coming down. There's not going to be a single stone left upon another. This generation's not going to pass away till you see all these things come to pass. Okay? That's who he's talking to. And I know that's very unpopular because we like to twist that to make our doctrines work. Now, that's not to say that in the Olivet Disclosure and what we're getting ready to read, that there's not some things for us in the future. There certainly is. But a majority of this is talking about, very clearly, what was coming. The judgment that was coming upon Jerusalem, upon the Jewish nation, upon the Jews themselves, for rejecting Messiah. Plain and simple. That's what Jesus describes. That's what actually happened in 70 AD. Um, that's what all the great commentators in the past have written and said and agreed upon. And that is what I'm saying as well. Again, just so you hear me, that's not to say that there's not some things in here that deal with the end of time. Matter of fact, the very last part, when Jesus is saying no one knows the hour, he's specifically talking about his return, right? Um, the lesson of the fig tree. Certainly, we can glean from we can see right now that these thing these crazy things developing in the world you know and we should be wise to say oh just like a fig tree when you when it starts to bloom you know summer is near okay when all this madness is developing and it's overtaking the entire world clearly we're at the end of this thing okay all there's stuff here for us for sure but a majority, I'm just making the argument that a majority, not all, but a majority of what's being talked about here is dealing with the Jews, dealing with Jerusalem, and dealing with 70 AD, where you can go and you can read Josephus as an example, a great Jewish uh, uh, historian, and he records all this happening as well. And he records some crazy miracles and stuff. You should read, the, you should read his work just for historical narrative. All right, made my argument. I've already upset a bunch of people for sure. There'll be people that come to the comments who know more than I do. I'm just this is just the way I see it. I could be wrong. Okay, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. But this is how I view it. This is how F.B. Meyer viewed it from the 1800s. This is how Matthew Henry viewed it, one of the greatest Bible commentaries of all time. This is how John Wesley viewed it. You have to pray, seek God, study the Word, and come to your own conclusion. All right, that might be the longest introduction I've done in a very long time, so we'll stop there and just read the scriptures. But try to remember the context, try to remember the audience.
This is how you properly study the Bible, my friends. Let's begin. Mark chapter 13, King James Bible. Verse 1. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, See, seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Please note, what are these things that they're referring to? Jesus has told them that all these buildings and whatnot, including the temple, are coming down. So what are they asking? They're asking, when will these things be? The things that you just mentioned. Verse 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be you not troubled. For such things must need be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils and the synagogues. You shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Please note, see, it seems like Jesus is going back and forth, like there's some things that are clearly directly to the disciples and to that generation, but then there's some things that obviously didn't happen right away and that's been happening since that time. One example is this. So he's saying, take heed to yourselves, talking to the disciples, you guys, watch out, for they are going to deliver you up to councils and the synagogues, right? You're not being deliver delivered up to synagogues. Yes, you may be uh, dealing with issues with the church or with government, but most of us aren't being delivered up to synagogues to be beaten. You shall be brought before rulers and kings. You know, that's something that we participate in for my sake and for the testimony against them. But then verse 10, and the gospel must be first published among all nations. Okay, so that's clearly didn't happen during that time. That's something that's happened during our time, right? As a matter of fact, the Bible app, as an example, has been downloaded, according to them, from every nation in the world. So, in the United States, and this is, I think, one of the reasons God hasn't rained fire and brimstone yet, is the United States has played a massive role in the spreading of the gospel worldwide. We've sent more missionaries than any other country in the world. We've sent more Bibles, more money to ministries, those things, a unique nation in the world. This is... I think that's the reason why the United States was blessed so greatly. It wasn't because Americans are so good. It's because the church in America went worldwide with the gospel. Um, and then another thing that could be for our time is, you know, he says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, there should be famines and troubles. These are beginnings of sorrows. We're definitely seeing that happen in our lifetime. So this is what I mean when I say prophecy has a 
hey, I'm talking directly to you, disciples, fulfillment, but also a future fulfillment in many ways. So just try to keep that in mind when you're looking at this. This has an audience that he's speaking to. That doesn't mean that we're not going to see some of these things that Jesus is talking about also. I hope I've made my point clear and not created more confusion. But that's the thing about prophecy. Continuing on. Verse 11. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate whatsoever you shall be given you, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour that you speak, for it is not you that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now, the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And they shall be hated for all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure till the end the same shall be saved. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. Please note, here's what F.B. Meyer from the 1800s wrote about this verse, verse 14, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let them be in Judea flee to the mountains. Who's supposed to flee to the mountains? Those who are in Judea. When are they supposed to flee? When they see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Here's what F.B. Meyer says. The fall of Jerusalem, this abomination had been predicted by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, 27. Josephus, the famous historian, says that the Romans brought their standards into the temple and offered sacrifices to them and proclaimed Titus emperor. Okay, so this is an event that took place during 70 AD before the massacre of the Jews that were there, before the burning down of everything and the tearing down of the temple, they brought their idols into the temple and offered sacrifices to their temple and, pro and proclaimed Titus as emperor. Okay? That is an ab There's an abomination of desolation. People think there has to be a third temple, and I don't think that that's true. It could be. It could be true. I think that right now what's being desecrated through genetic engineering and all those things is the temple that currently possesses the spirit of God, right? The human being. That's just my view. I could be way off. F.B. Meyer goes on to say, probably there is yet to be another fulfillment of these significant words. So F.B. Meyer is on the same page that I'm on, where he's saying, this is the literal fulfillment of it in 70 AD, but there's probably yet a future fulfillment. Right? That's the way we're to view Bible prophecy. Alright, continuing on. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither into neither therein take anything out of his house. Now again, in Judea people would people would stand or sit on their housetop, okay? So this is this would not be strange to the audience Jesus is talking to. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray that your flight not be in winter. 
For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God, God created to this time, neither shall be. And just so you know, looking, I'm glancing at the Matthew Henry commentary. He says the same thing about uh, Jerusalem at that time. Verse 20, And except that the Lord shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he has chosen, he has shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here he is, Christ, or lo, there he is, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all these things. Here's another thing that was happening during that time. People rising up, pretending to be Christ after he had ascended and deceiving many and leading people off, leading people off. We, but... We see that happening to us in this day, right? Lots of people at least coming in the name of Christ, leading people astray. Verse 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now please note, this is clearly one of those things that didn't happen at least in a literal sense. If you read through a lot of commentaries and things, a lot of people think that uh, it's speaking uh, metaphorically, right? Uh, when it says that the stars of heaven shall shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, it's just simply saying that the that the you know the kingdoms of the earth and and all that will be shaken. And maybe that's the metaphorical or symbolic view of it, but I think that that will literally also happen. That will that the stars will literally fall. Okay, like I'm expecting this to happen in a literal sense. Um, real quick, Matthew, I want to tell you, I want to show you what Matthew Henry has to say uh, on this, on this particular issue, because he will say that this is mostly about Jerusalem and about that time, but then he will also say that this is about the literal coming. So here's what he says. He says, these verses, so we're talking about 20, verse 24 through 27, which we just read, seem to point at Christ's second coming to judge the world. The disciples and their question had confounded the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world, which was built upon a mistake, as if the temple needs to stand as long as the world stands. This mistake Christ rectifies and shows that the end of the world in those days those other days you are inquiring about, the day of Christ's coming and the day of judgment, shall be after that tribulation and not coincident with it. All right, let me just break down what Matthew Henry is suggesting. He's saying that the second coming, what Christ is getting at, is that it's going to happen after that tribulation, meaning the tribulation that took place in Jerusalem, like those two things are not the one and the same. That's what he's suggesting, that 
this event will take place. Jerusalem will be overran. The Romans and the Romans did come in. They slaughtered millions, and there was blood running in the streets. The temple was torn down and burnt. They offered sacrifices to idols and to and declared their basically their emperor god in the temple and desecrated it. And all that happened, but that wouldn't be synonymous, or it wouldn't be the same as when Christ actually returns. That's what he's getting at. So he's saying, after the tribulation of those days, meaning sometime after that, that's that's the point he's trying to make. He said, Let those who live to see the Jewish nation destroyed take heed of thinking that because the Son of Man doth not visibly come in the clouds, then he will never so come. No, he will come after that. And here he foretells it. So he's saying, you know, you have the symbolic version that took place in 70 AD, like the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And if you look back in the Old Testament, it's kind of, it's like symbolism where it talks about God coming on the clouds, meaning his wrath is coming. Not like, not that he's literally seen coming, but Matthew Henry is suggesting, and I agree, that there's a future when that's literally going to be fulfilled. Okay? So we're waiting on that literal fulfillment where he appears in the clouds. Let's continue on. Verse 28. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know ye that nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day, and of that hour, knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Interestingly enough, if you go to John Wesley's commentary on verse 30, uh, where it says, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass away till all these things be done. He has one sentence. And it says all these things relating to the temple and the city. So John Wesley, just as myself, believes that Jesus was looking at his disciples saying, You guys, this generation, it's not going to pass away till these things that I've told you about actually happen. Okay. Um, that's not to say that there's not some truth to a generation that sees similar events will not be that last generation, right? It's just I don't like it when prophecy teachers completely twist it and they change what the verse says. They, You've heard it. You've all heard them say it, right? Jesus is saying that the generation that sees these signs will not pass away. But that's not what Jesus said. He says, Verily I say unto you, you guys, disciples, this generation shall not pass away. We just have to be careful with twisting things to make our doctrines fit. Okay? Now... We're almost done here. Jesus ends the sermon with no, the no one knows the day or the hour conversation, right? Here's what he says. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not 
when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at evening, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch now. This is a word for them, and a word for you. What does he say? And what I say unto you, disciples, I say unto all, watch. Watch. Let me read some commentary from uh, F.B. Meyer on this. Um, Because he talks about an actual rapture. Like, he really believed in a rapture before uh, the the final tribulation, right? He believes, like... If he were here now, he would probably likely think that we are going to be caught up soon and then the world's going to catch fire, right? He says this, The ministry of angels was very real to Jesus and their function in the future ages is clearly defined. As Enoch was translated before the deluge, so will the saints be gathered before the final sorrows. And then he puts in parentheses 1 Thessalonians 4.14-17, which is where Paul talks about how with the shout and, you know, we'll all be caught up, the, the dead in Christ will rise first, and, and you guys know the scripture. He said, It would seem as if Christ's coming is to bring summer to our world. This generation may refer to the fact that the Jewish people would remain as a distinct people. Our Lord had so emptied himself that in his human nature he knew not the hour, and was content to know only as the Father told him. He has now resumed the glory of knowledge which he had had before all the worlds. Have we each one found our work? Let us watch. So F.B. Meyer and myself agree. You are to be watching. You are to be watching. Because there is now a season coming upon us. And just like the lesson of the fig tree... Now learn the parable of fig tree when her branch is yet tender and put a fourth leaf. You know that summer is near. Look at the world right now. It's not like it's just this nation or just that nation. The whole world is being brought under a strict rule of tyranny and all kinds of genetic weirdness is starting to happen. And this is global. The, the fig tree is budding. Do you understand? Jesus said, look, you've got to be paying attention. Watch, because you don't know when the master of the house cometh. You don't know if it's going to be at evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Right? And then Jesus says, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. He... Over and over and over, Jesus warns throughout the Gospels. You see it in the book of Revelation. You see the disciples talking about it. You don't want that day to come upon you as a surprise. It seems like it's a good thing for those who are ready and expecting it. Not so good thing for those who are not expecting it. Lest he come suddenly and he find you sleeping. I say unto you and I say unto all. Watch.
that's how Matthew chapter 13 ends. I say unto you, and I say unto all, watch. Watch. And that's a principle. And this is why I think there's still, this is why I still hold that there could be a gathering before, you know, what we see in the book of Revelation as far as tribulation is concerned. Because there is this imminence, this sense of imminence to always be ready, to always be watching. And it wouldn't be true if we were, if we needed to go, well, the Antichrist isn't here, so I don't need to watch yet. Or the Third Temple isn't here, so I don't need to watch yet. Or uh, the trumpets haven't, the trumpet plagues and judgments haven't come, so I don't need to watch yet. We're told to always be ready and always be watching. So that's why I kind of lean like, okay, I'm not going to like sign my name next to that doctrine, but... I do accept it as a possibility, and so I'm doing my job, which is to always be ready, always be watching. I'm smart enough. I can see the fig tree blooming like crazy right now. I know we got to be there. we got to be at that time. Matthew Henry says, As to both, your duty is to watch and pray. Therefore, the time is kept a secret that you may be engaged to stand always upon your guard. You know, one of the things that's that's always been in my mind and heart is like the times when I really believe that Jesus could return and I know it's always been true but I but when I really feel it in my heart like I do right now I'm so much more engaged with making sure I'm walking right obey walking in obedience paying attention looking for Jesus that's the point that Matthew Henry's making in his commentary, he's like, the reason why it's a secret is so because God wants you to always be standing on guard, right? Like, if you knew the time, you wouldn't stand on guard and you wouldn't walk right until it was time to walk right. He says, take heed of everything that would indispose you for your master's coming and would render your accounts perplexed and your spirit so too. Watch for his coming that it may not at any time be a surprise to you. And pray for that grace which is necessary to qualify you for it. Remember the prayer in Luke, the book of Luke. What did Jesus say? Pray always that you might be accounted worthy to escape these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Matthew Henry, continuing with Matthew Henry's commentary here. And pray for that grace which is necessary to qualify you for it, for you know not when the time is. And you are concerned to be ready for that every day, which may come any day. This he illustrates in the close by a parable. And then he quotes the parable that we just read at the end, the no one knows the day or hour parable. Let me just read the last part of his commentary. He said, well, he's, he's quoting the scripture. What I say unto you for, I mean, I say unto all the twelve, or rather you twelve, I say unto all my disciples and followers. And what I say to you of this generation, I say all that shall believe in men through your word in every age, watch, watch, expect my second coming, prepare for it that you may be found in peace without spot and blameless. That's his paraphrase. Jesus is saying, 
all of you, you disciples, all future followers and disciples, all future believers in every age, be prepared. Because you don't know. You don't know. But here's a little hint. It's kind of like the fig tree. You see it blooming. You know summer's near. And that's where we are, friends. The tree has bloomed. The figs are on it. I would say they're even ripe. Right? Like it's it's full-blown summer. We should be expecting Jesus at any moment. And do not be surprised when things are shaken. Right? When things are shaken. When the powers are shaken. Don't be surprised if the stars fall from heaven. Be ready. I hope that your heart is right. I hope that you got out of this study what I wanted you to get out of it, which is simply this. So just let me restate this and then I'll be quiet. We have prophecy here given by Jesus. And just like prophecy in the Old Testament, it was for a generation that he was speaking to and, I think, for us as well. But let's be careful about confusing things and twisting things to make doctrines work. Just let it be what it is. Just let the word be what it is. Thanks for listening, friends. Please consider supporting this work if you're being blessed by it. Scriptureandprophecy.com. There's a support and donate tab at the top. Thanks for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.